Chapter Ten, Section One of Children of the Ghetto. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Ten, The Neo-Hebrew Poet. He came through the open street door, knocked perfunctorily at the door of the room, opened it, and then kissed the mezuzah outside the door. Then he advanced, snatched the Rebbitzin's hand away from the handle of the coffee-pot, and kissed it with equal devotion. He then seized upon Hannah's hand, and pressed his grimy lips to that, murmuring in German, "'You look so charming this morning, like the roses of Carmel.' Then he bent down and pressed his lips to the Reb's coat-tail. Finally he said, "'Good morning, sir.' to Levi, who replied very affably, "'Good morning, Mr. Pinchas.' "'Peace be unto you, Pinchas,' said the Reb. "'I did not see you in shul this morning, though it was Rosh Chodesh.' "'No, I went to the great shul,' said Pinchas in German. "'If you do not see me at your place, you may be sure I was somewhere else. Anyone who has lived so long in Eretz Yisrael cannot bear to pray without a minion. In the Holy Land I used to learn for an hour in the shul every morning before my service began. But I am not here to talk about myself. I come to ask you to do me the honour to accept a copy of my new volume of poems, Metatron's Flames. Is it not a beautiful title? When Enoch was taken up to heaven while yet alive, he was converted to flames of fire and became Metatron, the great spirit of the Kabbalah. So I am wrapped up in the heavens of lyrical poetry, and I become all fire and flame and light." The poet was a slim, dark little man, with long, matted black hair. His face was hatchet-shaped, and not unlike an Aztec's. The eyes were informed by an eager brilliance. He had a heap of little paper-covered books in one hand, and an extinct cigar in the other. He placed the books upon the breakfast-table. "'At last!' he said. "'See, I've got it printed, the great work which this ignorant English Judaism has left to moulder while it pays its stupid reverence thousands a year for wearing white ties. "'And who has paid for it now, Mr. Pinchas?' said the Rebbitzin. "'Who? Who?' stammered Melchizedek. "'Who but myself?' "'But you said you are blood-poor.' "'True was the law of Moses. But I have written articles for the jargon papers. They jump at me. There's not a man on the staff of all of them who has the pen of a ready writer.' I can't get any money out of them, my dear Rebbitson, else I shouldn't be without breakfast this morning. But the proprietor of the largest of them is also a printer, and he has printed my little book in return. But I don't think I'll fill my stomach with the sales. Oh, Hakodesh Baruch Hu, bless you, Rebbitson. Of course I'll take a cup of coffee. I don't know anyone else who makes coffee with such a sweet savour. It will do for a spice-offering when the Almighty restores us our temple. You are a happy mortal, Rabbi. Will you permit that I seat myself at the table?" 
and without waiting permission he pushed a chair between Levi and Hannah and sat down. Then he got up again and washed his hands and helped himself to a spare egg. Here is your copy, Reb Shmuel, he went on after an interval. You see, it is dedicated generally to the pillars of English Judaism. They are a set of donkey heads, but one must give them a chance in rising to higher things. It's true that not one of them understands Hebrew, not even the chief rabbi, to whom courtesy made me send a copy. Perhaps he will be able to read my poems with a dictionary. He certainly can't write Hebrew without two grammatical blunderings in every word. No, no, don't defend him, Reb Shmuel, because you're under him. He ought to be under you. Only he expresses his ignorance in English, and the fools think to talk nonsense in good English is to be qualified for the rabbinate." The remark touched the rabbi in a tender place. It was the one worry of his life, the consciousness that persons in high quarters disapproved of him as a force impeding the anglicization of the ghetto. He knew his shortcomings, but could never quite comprehend the importance of becoming English. He had a latent feeling that Judaism had flourished before England was invented, and so the poet's remark was secretly pleasing to him. "'You know very well,' went on Pinchas, "'that I and you are the only two persons in London who can write correctly the Lushan HaKodesh.' "'No, no,' said the rabbi, deprecatingly. "'Yes, yes,' said Pinchas, emphatically. "'You can write quite as well as I. But just cast your eye now on the special dedication which I have written to you in my own autograph. To the light of his generation, the great Goan, whose excellency reaches to the end of the earth, from whose lips all the people of the Lord seek knowledge, the never-failing well, the mighty eagle who soars to heaven on the wings of understanding, to Rav Shmuel, may whose light never be dimmed, and in whose day may the Redeemer come unto Zion. There, take it, honour me by taking it. It is the homage of the man of genius to the man of learning, the humble offering of the one Hebrew scholar in England to the other. Uh, thank you said the old rabbi, much moved. It's too handsome of you, and I shall read it at once, and treasure it among my dearest books, for you know well that I consider that you have the truest poetic gift of any son of Israel since Yehuda Halevi. I have, I know it, I feel it, it burns me. The sorrow of our race keeps me awake at night. The national hopes tingle like electricity through me. I bedew my couch with tears in the darkness." Pinchas paused to take another slice of bread and butter. "'It is then that my poems are born. The words burst into music in my head, and I sing like Isaiah the restoration of our land, and become the poet-patriot of my people. But these English! They care only to make money and to stuff it down the throats of gorging reverends. My scholarship, my poetry, my divine dreams, 
what are these to a besotted brutal congregation of amharets i sent buckledorf the rich banker a copy of my little book with a special dedication written in my own autograph in german so that he might understand it and what did he send me a beggarly five shillings five shillings to the one poet in whom the heavenly fire lives how can the heavenly fire live on five shillings i had almost a mind to send it back and then there was gideon the member of parliament i made one of the poems an acrostic on his name so that he might be handed down to posterity there that's the one uh, no the one on the page you were just looking at yes that's it beginning great leader of israel's host i sing high heroic deeds divinely gifted learned man i wrote his dedication in english for he understands neither hebrew nor german the miserable purse-proud vanity-eaten am why didn't he give you anything at all said the reb worse he sent me back the book but i'll be revenged upon him i'll take the acrostic out of the next edition and let him rot in oblivion i have been all over the world to every great city where jews congregate in russia in turkey in germany in roumania in greece in morocco in palestine everywhere the greatest rabbis have leapt like hearts on the mountain with joy at my coming they have fed and clothed me like a prince i have preached at the synagogues and everywhere people have said it was like the vilna gaon come again from the neighbouring villages for miles and miles the pious have come to be blessed by me look at my testimonials from all the greatest saints and savants but in england in england alone what is my welcome do they say welcome mechitzedek pinchas welcome as the bridegroom to the bride when the long day is done and the feast is over welcome to you with the torch of your genius with the burden of your learning that is rich with the whole wealth of hebrew literature in all ages and countries here we have no great and wise men our chief rabbi is an idiot come thou and be our chief rabbi do they say this no they treat me with scorn coldness slander and as for the reverend elkan benjamin who makes such a fuss of himself because he sends a wealthy congregation to sleep with his sermons i'll expose him as sure as there's a guardian of israel i'll let the world know about his four mistresses N nonsense guard yourself against the lush and hurrah the evil tongue said the reb how do you know he has it's the law of moses said the little poet true as i stand here you ask jacob herman it was he who told me about it jacob herman said to me one day that benjamin has a mistress for every fringe on his zitzit and how many is that hey i do not know why he should be allowed to slander me and i should not be allowed to tell the truth about him one day i will shoot him you know he said that when i first came to london i joined the meshumadim the apostates in palestine place well he had at least some foundation for that said reb Shmuel. foundation you call that foundation because i lived there for a week 
hunting out their customs and their ways of ensnaring the souls of our brethren, so that I might write about them one day? Have I not already told you not a morsel of their food passed my lips, and that the money which I had to take so as not to excite suspicion I distributed in charity among the poor Jews? Why not? From pigs we take bristles. Still, you must remember that if you had not been such a saint and such a great poet, I might myself have believed that you had sold your soul for money to escape starvation," said the rabbi. I know how these devils set their baits for the helpless immigrant, offering bread in return for a conversion. They are grown so cunning now, they print their hellish appeals in Hebrew knowing we reverence the Loshan Akoidish. Yes, the ordinary Amharagetz believes everything that's in Hebrew. That was the mistake of the apostles to write in Greek. Ha! But then they too were such Amharagetz. I wonder who writes such good Hebrew for the missionaries, said Reb Shmuel. Oh, I wonder, gurgled Pinchas, deep in his coffee. But father, asked Hannah, don't you believe any Jew ever really believes in Christianity? Poof! How is it possible? answered Reb Shmuel. A Jew who has the law from Sinai, the law that will never be changed, to whom God has given a sensible religion and common sense, how can such a person believe in the farrago of nonsense that makes up the worship of the Christians? No Jew has ever apostatized except to fill his purse or his stomach, or to avoid persecution. Getting grace, they call it in English, but with poor Jews it is always grace after meals. Look at the crypto-Jews, the Muranos, who for centuries lived a double life, outwardly Christians, but handing down secretly from generation to generation the faith, the traditions, the observances of Judaism. Yes, no Jew was ever fool enough to turn Christian, unless he was a clever man," said the poet paradoxically. Have you not, my sweet innocent young lady, heard the story of the two Jews in Moscow Cathedral? No, what is it? said Levi eagerly. Well, pass my cup up to your highly superior mother, who is waiting to fill it with coffee. Your eminent father knows the story. I can see by the twinkle in his learned eye." "'Yes, that story has a beard,' said the Reb. Two Spanish Jews,' said the poet, addressing himself deferentially to Levi, who had got grace, were waiting to be baptized at the Burgos Cathedral. There was a great throng of Catholics, and a special cardinal was coming to conduct the ceremony for their conversion was a great triumph. But the cardinal was late, and the Jews fumed and fretted at the delay. The shadows of evening were falling on the vault and transept. At last one turned to the other, and said, Knowst thou what, Moses? If the Holy Father does not arrive soon, we shall be too late to say Mincha." Levi laughed heartily. The reference to the Jewish afternoon prayer went home to him. That story sums up in a nutshell the whole history of the great movement for the conversion of the Jews. 
we dip ourselves in baptismal water and wipe ourselves with a talus. We are not a race to be lured out of the fixed feelings of countless centuries by the empty spirituality of a religion in which, as I soon found out when I lived among the soul-dealers, its very professors no longer believe. We are too fond of solid things, said the poet, upon whom a good breakfast was beginning to produce a soothing materialistic effect. Do you know the anecdote about the two Jews in the Transvaal? Pinchas went on. That's a real China. I don't think I know that, said Rib Shmuel. Their two Jews made a trek and were travelling onwards, exploring an unknown country. One night they were sitting by their campfire playing cards, when suddenly one threw up his cards, tore his hair, and beat his breast in terrible agony. What's the matter? cried the other one. Woe, woe! said the first. Today was the day of atonement, and we've eaten and gone on as usual. Ah, don't take it so, said his friend. After all, heaven will take into consideration that we lost count of the Jewish calendar and didn't mean to be so wicked, and we can make up for it by fasting tomorrow. Oh, no, not for me, said the first. Today was the day of atonement. All laughed, the Reb appreciating most keenly the sly dig at his race. He had a kindly sense of human frailty. Jews are very fond of telling stories against themselves, for their sense of humour is too strong not to be aware of their own foibles, but they tell them with closed doors and resent them from the outside. They chastise themselves because they love themselves as members of the same family insult one another. The secret is that insiders understand the limitations of the criticism which outsiders are apt to take in bulk. No race in the world possesses a richer anecdotal law than the Jews. Such porky, even blasphemous humour, not understandable to the heathen, and to a suspicious mind, Pinchas's overflowing cornucopia of such would have suggested a prior period of continental wandering from town to town, like the mini-singers of the Middle Ages, repaying the hospitality of his Jewish entertainers with the budget of good stories and gossip from the scenes of his pilgrimages. "'Do you know the story,' he went on, encouraged by Simcha's smiling face, "'of the old Reb and the Havdalah? His wife left town for a few days, and when she returned the Reb took out a bottle of wine, poured some into the consecration cup, and began to recite the blessing. "'What art thou doing?' demanded his wife in amaze. "'I'm making Havdalah,' replied the Reb. "'But it's not the conclusion of a festival to-night,' she said. "'Oh, yes, it is,' he answered. "'My festival's over. You've come back.' The Reb laughed so much over this story that Simcha's brow grew as the solid Egyptian darkness, and Pinchas perceived he had made a mistake. "'But listen to the end!' he said, with creditable impromptu. The wife said, "'No, you're mistaken. Your festival's only beginning. You'll get no supper. It's the commencement of the Day of Atonement.' Simcha's brow cleared, 
and the Reb laughed heartily. "'But I don't see the point, father,' said Levi. "'Point? Listen, my son. First of all he was to have a day of atonement, beginning with no supper, for his sin of rudeness to his faithful wife. Secondly, dost thou not know that with us the day of atonement is called a festival, because we rejoice at the Creator's goodness in giving us the privilege of fasting? That's it, Pinchas, isn't it? Yes, uh, that's the point of the story, and I think the Rebbitson had the best of it, eh? Rebbitsons always have the last word, said the Reb. But did I tell you the story of the woman who asked me a question the other day? She brought me a fowl in the morning, and said that in cutting open the gizzard she had found a rusty pin which the fowl must have swallowed. She wanted to know whether the fowl might be eaten. It was a difficult point, for how could you tell whether the pin had in any way contributed to the fowl's death? I searched the chasse and a heap of she'elos for teshuvos. I went and consulted the maggid and sugarman the shadchan and Mr. Karlkammer, and at last we decided that the fowl was trafer and could not be eaten. So the same evening I sent for the woman, and when I told her of her decision she burst into tears and wrung her hands. Don't grieve so, I said, taking compassion upon her. I will buy thee another fowl. But she wept on, uncomforted. Woe, woe, she cried, we ate it all up yesterday. Pinchas was convulsed with laughter. Recovering himself, he lit his half-smoked cigar without asking leave. I thought it would turn out differently, he said, like that story of the peacock. A man had one presented to him and as this was such a rare diet he went to the Reb to ask if it was kosher. And the rabbi said no, and confiscated the peacock. Later on the man heard that the rabbi had given a banquet, at which his peacock was the crowning dish. He went to the rabbi and reproached him. I may eat it, replied the rabbi, because my father considered it permitted, and we may always go by what some eminent son of the law decides but you unfortunately came to me for an opinion, and the permissibility of Peacock is a point on which I have always disagreed with my father." Hannah seemed to find peculiar enjoyment at this story. "'However,' concluded Pinchas, "'you have a more pious flock than any rabbi in my native place, who one day announced to his congregation that he was going to resign. Startled, they sent to him a delegate, who asked, in the name of the congregation, why he was leaving them. Because, answered the rabbi, this is the first question anyone has ever asked me. Tell Mr. Pinchas your repartee about the donkey, said Hannah, smiling. Oh, no, 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 it's not worth while, said the Reb. Thou art always so backwards with thy own, cried the Rebbitson warmly. Last Purim, an impudent of face, sent my husband a donkey made of sugar. My husband had a rabbi baked in gingerbread and sent it in exchange to the donor with the inscription, A rabbi sends a rabbi. Reb Shmuel laughed heartily. 
hearing this afresh at the lips of his wife. But Pinchas was bent double like a convulsive note of interrogation. End of chapter 10, section 1